We're all advocates. We're the backbone. We're the backbone of the nation. We're the backbone of the state of Texas. Creates a healthy community. So, you know, eat local, buy local, support your local farmers. Welcome back to another episode of The Advocates. I'm Wade Howard, joined by my co-host, Dan Sell. Thanks for joining us this week. Dan, where are we headed? Well, Wade, we're headed to Shiprock, New Mexico with uh, technical assistance with the IAC, Matt Anitzlaw. He, uh, he helps with the Navajo region of the Intertribal Ag Council, and we literally just dove right into the uh, agricultural aspect in that part of the world. Matt, how are you doing today? Hey, good, my friend. Good to hear from you. You too, man. Dan, yourself? Doing well, doing well. Excited for this podcast. Absolutely, me too. Uh, Matt, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? All right. Well, my name's uh, Matt Danetclaw. I come from Shiprock, New Mexico. I was born and raised right here in Shiprock. Um, it's on located on the Navajo Reservation. And for those who are not familiar, Shiprock is right up in the far northwest corner um, of the state of New Mexico. I mean, it's pretty much its own little metropolis, you know, trying to make it funny there. But anyway, we've um, we've been here all our lives. And uh, from there, I went off to school in Texas after having a successful uh, livestock judging career in my 4-H years. And uh, from there, that kind of blossomed into its own thing. And uh, next thing you know, we're cranking out some show calves through our, you know, my years of experience in showing cattle and that led to, you know, its own numerous um, opportunities and opening doors. And uh, now here I am working for the Intertribal Agriculture Council and their home base in Billings, Montana. I think we could talk about lots of different things. I really want to dive into the to, to in, ag production um, in, in Indian country. You said you work for the Intertribal Ag Council. Tell us a little bit about that organization and, and what they do. Sure. So that's an organization that was founded in the late 80s. And that was through an agreement, um, up, you know, based upon the uh, USDA Office of Tribal Relations, better known as USDA OTR. We try not to go through too many acronyms, but when you, you know, kind of do a lot of work surrounded around government, that's, you know, what we always end up, um, you know, backing ourselves to. But anyway, um, the organization in itself was originally founded to assist producers in uh, participating increasing participation in USDA programs. And, you know, that was uh, thanks to some um, some legislation through, uh, through Congress. And from that point, um, it's really evolved throughout the years to where we're now in a place where we have six key mission areas. And as we kind of go around the horn with those, we have professional development, which is better known as our youth programming. So we offer scholarships. Um, we do some internship opportunities. We have apprenticeships. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on there. We have our own uh, Native Youth Food Sovereignty Alliance board that, um, you know, assists our our uh, current board of directors in, in guidance for where our organization goes. And, uh, you know, and we have our very famous uh, youth essay contest that allows um, these young people to write on the topic that we're, you know, that we're involved with. And what we do is we allow them to come to our annual conference every year in Las Vegas. It's at the beginning of December. And from there, um, what, what these kids do is they compete for scholarships and whatnot. And, 
At the same time, they um, also are our top three individuals will have the opportunity to present their work. And that's a really uh, neat thing that we're proud of. And, you know, I think we, we can even go as far as to say that we learn more from from the young people as much as anyone else um, revolved around this industry. And it's also something that I can attest to say that, you know, I've you know developed myself through that programming and that's allowed me to be hired um, with by IAC. So that's one um, key key mission area. From there, we have our, you know, food systems as far as um, access delivery um, and, uh, you know, providing uh, value-added trademarks and labels for our native producers. And we also have a separate program known as the American Indian Foods Program that allows our producers to... um, you know, receive assistance with promoting their products in accessing a market, not just uh, domestically here in the United States, but globally as well by going and promoting their products at all the food shows across the globe. Um, from there, we have our next key mission area of communication, you know, pretty simple and straightforward when it comes to connecting people and being a, a resource, you know, when it comes to, again, building those bridges. <clears throat> In terms of our uh, next key mission area of economics, we have our own, uh, you know, very proud of our own CDFI, a, a community development financial institution. So we all have some training and background as far as being loan officers and being able to provide uh, credit access to our Native Americans, especially um, those who may not have the means or ability to become eligible for um, capital access programs you know, through traditional financing. So that's another thing that we have there. We also have conservation and production innovation, uh, meaning that we're able to go out in the field and assist our producers when it comes to um, implementing new uh, conservation um, methods and things that's going to allow them to um, take advantage of some of these programs offered by the USDA. And last last but not least is our legal and policy which is providing advocacy and, and um, you know, providing the research and things that allows, um, you know, our work to, um, you know, promote itself, in, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, developing policy and not just policy, but being a major advocate in terms of um, including Native provisions in, uh, in the Farm Bill. And if you're familiar with the Farm Bill, you know how how big of a document that is and, you know, how much, um, you know, goes into it. But, you know, in, in, the, in the last few years, we're, we're proud to be um, one of the organizations within the Native Farm Bill Coalition, which uh, is an organization in itself that, um, you know, advocates for tribal-specific provisions. Proud of, we started out back in 92 with four provisions, and now in this last Farm Bill of 2018, we're up to 63. So, um, you know, that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell there. I mean, there, there's so much that I can, you know, go go further into, but it's quite the organization and, and people that are in uh, positions, you know, like myself in terms of being a technical assistant specialist. You know, obviously, I, I think I can say that we do so much more than simply providing um, technical assistance because we're basically uh, accused of being the the, the jack of all trades and a master of few. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't caught on yet, Matt is definitely a man of many hats and, uh, and many different jobs. That's, that's amazing. I've got to ask you this from, from my standpoint, uh, what do y'all grow in terms of agriculture over there? What, what's, what's like a main commodity over there? 
So that's the thing um, that really makes us unique is, uh, you know, given the land status that we're put on, we're only permitted um, a, a limited amount of acres. Okay, we, we actually go by acres around here, not by sections. And a lot of our farms on the Navajo Nation average around 10 acres, I would say. So each person who is allowed a farm permit, you know, to farm whatever they want, Again, they're they're limited on, on the amount of acres that they are that they're allowed to grow on. So that really opens the door for uh, these unique individuals to be diverse in what they grow. And and for many right now, um, the issue is is many of them are growing just to uh, sustain themselves and their families. And from that point, if there's anything else that they grow that is an access, then they'll simply haul it down to the farmer's market and sell it. And, and we're talking about, you know, all your, your your primary vegetables that we have around here, you know, the 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 sweet corn, the white, you know, what we know better know as Indian corn, um, varieties of melons and cucumbers and squash and, you know, pumpkins and different things. So our, our farmers are very, are very diverse in what they're able to grow. But uh, on the other side of that, our own um, tribal farm, uh, which is its own corp uh, tribal corporation, is better known as uh, NAPI, Navajo Agricultural Products Industry. Um, they've, they're have they better known as one of the largest um, corporate farms. They are, or they are the largest farm for in Indian country. And what they do is they, they're on that system of, of, um, of growing, um, sections and sections of, of, of more uh, raw commodities that they do um, harvest and trade in the in the wholesale market. So, you know, I think primarily for them, their big their big deal is, is alfalfa. Then from there, they go into the feed corn and from there it, it, it drops off uh, significantly to other products like, you know, pumpkins and green chili and, and what have you. So are y'all primarily dry land over there? Or is there irrigation for more of the bigger farms that just aren't uh, sustainable for the family? So um, to kind of, you know, get the corporate farm up in, up and in the air there, they, they, uh, with the, with the help of the Bureau of Reclamation, they've initiated the uh, Navajo irrigation project back in the 1960s, I believe. So, their deal is they get um, water directly from the Navajo Reservoir, and they're able to irrigate their crops using, um, you know, sprinkler systems and, and, and center pivots, you know, for the most part. And they're able to get their stuff done for us down here. Um, it, it only helps the farmers who live along the, the major river. For us, that would be the San Juan River, and we have the river diversions in different places um, along the river that, you know, uh, fills these concrete um, irrigation canals. And from there, we're able to um, use or take advantage of, of those canals and um, implement um, flood irrigation through our, our irrigation systems. Okay, that makes sense. You talk about all these great things that the, the IAC does for, for the people y'all serve. Uh, what are some complexities or challenges that y'all face uh, if you go out and visit with people um, about ag and, and, and different things that you, you face on a day-to-day -day basis? Okay, so the challenges, at least um, within my region here, um, again, the main thing is that we're um, not only having to um, serve under, you know, the, 
our, our federal government, you know, we do bypass the state because we're a sovereign nation, but we have our own uh, tribal government as well. So, and, and our tribal government, um, though they do have authority to um, implement policy and things on the land that, you know, is considered the, the reservation, they also have limited um, capabilities of, of enforcing things um, when it comes to, you know, working through the Bureau of, of Indian Affairs. So between the tribe, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and, and the producer, there's always that that, that complication that's, that's added um, to a more unique level to where, you know, it's not as simple as um, someone going out and, for example, doing prescribed burning to, um, you know, clear the fields and get things ready. We have to actually um, go down to an office and fill out paperwork through our local um, EPA, our tribal EPA office. And then from there, it gets sent down to the Capitol. We had to wait for it to come back. And at, when the time um, does come for that paperwork to come back, then we're only able to burn for like two weeks. Beyond that, if we do that, then we're outside of the regulation of our own tribal government. So that's one example. Uh, another example is if a producer who's in an open range area has a grazing permit to graze in an area, but they want to secure their grazing land, they would have to not only um, send in forms with the tribe, but also the Bureau of Indian Affairs. So when they get when they get that process started um, through our tribal government, we don't exactly have what you know most other tribes would have as far as the constitution goes, but we have what we, what we call a code, and within the code. Um, our producers are having to, um, you know, uh, give re respect to their neighbors. So not only um, do they have to get permission from the government and, you know, the, the tribal government and the federal government, they also get, have to get permission from their neighbors. And if their neighbors have any reason to believe that they don't want, you know, the, the permitted person to be fencing um, land that's, you know, outside of their, their boundary, then um, they can simply say no. And that's where the process ends. And that's where we have a lot of, you know, things along the lines of, of grazing disputes and, and things like that. that you really holds up the, the process. And that's just through levels and levels of uh, bureaucracy. Matt, is there is there a lot of future in the youth of, in, in agriculture that you work with? Or is it primarily um, older, older people that you, you get to work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that's um, one thing that we can certainly um, brag on. And <laughs> I, I should say, well, there's really no better word for us to say than brag. But anyway, when it comes to um, the work that we do and, and uh, you know, things like that, when it comes to, you know, talking about some numbers and things in comparison to the um, ag census from 2012 to 2017, we have seen an increase in native farm operators, which was from, you know, uh, 72,000 to 79,000. And that, you know, and with numbers like that, that would certainly indicate that there is an interest in younger people wanting to become ag producers. And, and that's something that is certainly evident when we, um, you know, start to go out in the field and see these people in action. And uh, not just through that, but through our, our programming as well, you know, through our social media reach and things like that, we're able to see an increase in, in participation, not just through our organization, but others who, who we partner with as well and consider good friends of ours. And uh, that's, you know, one thing that we can certainly agree on is, you know, the future of, uh, of Indian agriculture is bright. And 
you know, and it's not just through, again, the work that we do, but through the work of, of others as well. And, and we give, and we, we certainly can't take credit for, for everything, but, you know, that's where I certainly have to give my, my hats off to, um, to all of our other partners and people that we work with in this, uh, in this industry. I came across a story while looking at the, the IEC website about a, a, a school garden. I guess you had a hand in. Um, is that something you do often or is that kind of a, a unique school that, that is open to, to learning new things? Yeah, so that school there, I mean, again, um, you know, I, I guess that's kind of where I start to talk about, you know, clientele there. And when it comes to the work that we do with with our clients, um, again, it's something that I don't, I don't push on anybody as far as wanting to participate in the programs or take advantage of these opportunities. Uh, my job is simply to let them know about the resources that are available. And if these producers or individuals, schools or other organizations um, have the motivation and the drive to want to um, accomplish their goals, then uh, that's where, you know, I'm more than happy to, to dive in and help in that that school there, that Newcomb High School is one that's really, um, you know, come on in the last year as far as a group that's wanting to pursue a future in, um, in uh, providing, you know, uh, a hands-on experience for their students. So that's, you know, one thing that we're able to, to get on board with that particular school and, you know, really try to promote um, the work that they do so they can receive the funding and things needed to, uh, again, provide that unique experience that these kids wouldn't otherwise have um, within their own community. So you, the future for, for agriculture as itself is, is uh, looking good for you, but what about the uh, economic side of it? I know for me, the commodities just do not look so bright uh, for, for agriculture as a, as a whole right now, but what about, uh, in the Indian reservation, I'm sure there's a different economic standpoint on that. How do you deal with that? Right. So, you know, um, for, for the Indian producer, um, you know, I can certainly say that most of them are not exactly in the business of producing raw commodities to, you know, push into the wholesale trade that's going to later affect the, um, the conventional food chain. We're more or less looking at, um, small producers who simply want to turn their product around and provide a retail product for for the consumer. And those consumers are local and those consumers at the same time um, are those who care about, you know, where, where their food comes from because, you know, and, and it's certainly no surprise that, that, that that's the case because, you know, we have people who, you know, Instagram their, their plates and things that they're eating. And, you know, and they also want to, you know, tell people about where their food comes from. And, and when you add the, the, the Indian into the equation, um, that allows not only that food product to be something that was, you know, hand or locally grown and locally produced, but it's food that also has a story. And that story is what, you know, um, you know, draws back to the producer as far as going back generations and generations of, of culture and tradition. So when we start to, you know, put all those pieces together, um, we really start to kind of look at things in terms of, um, you know, holistic management and, you know, um, you know, maybe looking at things more toward, um, you know, again, just just small and, and uniquely labeled items. So even though these are food products that, 
the American Indian producer wouldn't be able to, um, you know, fully supply, like, for example, a grocery store. Maybe there's the opportunity for that producer to um, open up their own smaller business that would, you know, provide um, food products for, you know, a, a certain number of, of families in, in terms of clientele and things. And of course, if those are people who care enough about where their food comes from, then they're willing to pay for that, you know, pay for that, that product. Um, on top of that, you know, we can also um, kind of bring up the fact that, you know, in terms of Indian country, um, a lot of producers um, or, a lot, or a lot of people, I should say, within Indian country are, are living below that median income level. So, that kind of brings up another level of, of challenges when it comes to knowing who our consumer is and being able to pr provide food products that are not only um, uh, nutritious for the consumer, but also um, economically uh, viable for, for our consumer as well. So as we kind of bring all those pieces together, that's what um, that's the biggest part of the challenge that we're trying to solve. And I think when it, when we start to pull all those pieces together and we start to bring in these facts of of where our producers are located and and uh, you know and, and bringing the the level of of low uh, food access and low um, and low incomes um, that's that's really the bridge that we're trying to trying to gap or we're, that's really the gap that we're trying to build a bridge. Matt, do y'all, if, if people are willing, do y'all work with them to kind of set up growing plans that, that maybe this farm over here is going to grow some corn and their neighbor is going to take care of the potatoes and kind of, uh, to kind of take care of the food desert issue out there and, and make sure that there's going to be enough produce to go around, um, in event, I mean, uh, in, if, if there's a bountiful harvest, um, to make sure that everybody's gonna be taken care of. Well, again, it's uh, working with individual producers. Each producer has an idea of what they want to do, um, and for me, that's that's the first thing I want to, you know, uh, lay lay the foundation for with my producers. Is you know, hey, you you know, you've been on this farmland for so many years, or rangeland, whatever it may be, you know, for so many years and generations. Um, you know, I'm. I'm just the person that provides suggestions and things, and, and I fully respect, um, you know, your opinion and your goals and what you want to do. And when it comes to my clientele, everyone wants to be able to, number one, provide food to sustain themselves. And then from there, if they have anything that would be considered um, excess, um, you know, uh, food, then they'd, they'd be more than they'd be more than willing to sell it. So. That's the kind of plan that we have to build is, is work things through a more more diverse operation rather than just saying, hey, we'll, um, we'll, we'll cover this crop and then my neighbor over here is going to cover this crop and then we'll form this, this co-op to where we can you know, provide um, food for, for this uh, consumer or this uh, market and then from there we'll, we'll share crops. I mean, that, that's something that really hasn't um, taken flight just yet, but until we are able to put that information out and let our producers decide for themselves that that's something that they want to do, then we can certainly make that possible. But until then, I really, really uh, want to, you know, again, give that, give that power and, and, and decision um, to my clients. Matt, I kind of want to shift gears here and, you know, back in, 
back in de- late December, early January, I saw a video of you and, and see Jason Spence pop up on Facebook um, where you were talking about a really cool program that you're a part of um, encouraging youth to be involved in the livestock industry. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and, and how you got started in that aspect of the IEC. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, again, uh, kind of shifting gears more toward professional development and, and conservation and product innovation. So when, when I go and actually uh, schedule myself to work with some of these ag teachers um, in our area who have a, a majority or if not 100 percent Native American students, I do go into the schools and I've been given presentations about our organization and what we do, we're able to what we're able to provide and uh, of course, you know, funny story, you know, many students don't exactly latch on to um, conservation. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a topic that's not really um, attractive and it doesn't really uh, spark the interest of, of the kiddo. So I thought to myself, well, how can I make this more interesting? And that's, you know, to simply, again, realize who these who these kiddos are as, as clientele and, and what they're looking for. And that's simply to engage them through the things that they're interested in. So by again, going into schools, asking, you know, who's, who's uh, showing livestock, who's part of the livestock industry, because that's something I've had, you know, plenty of years of experience in myself, you know, how, how can I, um, you know, build that bridge there. So not only do we have that relationship started, but I can gain their trust and, we can, again, um, find ways to kind of sprinkle in, you know, the work that we do as an organization into their minds. So, again, we can kind of find that that place where um, with these kiddos that, that they'll uh, want to take that next step and, and be more receptive to um, our concepts. And and that's exactly through uh, through livestock showing. So, um, again, going back to the fact that, you know, a lot of families out there, you know, they, they do raise livestock. They do show in, in the tribal shows, county shows, state shows and national shows. Um, they're, they're, they do it on a, on, on a smaller and tighter budget. And uh, for whatever reason that may be, you know, that's that's none of our business. But um, but that that's something that we want to be able to, to try to fund and be able to um and be able to uh, pay them back in terms of their investment. So through our CDFI, we're able to match the um, the FSA uh, youth loan limit of, of five thousand dollars. And you know, through again my work of being a of being a technical assistance specialist, if we're able to pull you know again five thousand from the FSA, five thousand from our, from our own CDFI, we're able to um, you know get these kids a very hefty starting budget. And not only just the starting budget, but just from the available funding in our organization, we're able to back these kids at the uh, at the livestock sale that they may end up um, going to, whether it's at their, you know, again, local show to a national show. And we can sit in as a bidder and, and make sure that we're able to get these kids paid back in, in, in the fairest terms. So. Again, it doesn't matter what what kind of livestock they're raising. Um, you know, Jason Spence has been a really good advocate for me there as far as, you know, promoting the word of what we're trying to do. But again, if these kids are able to um, contact me, we're able to get them the loan that they desire in the amount that they desire anywhere from, you know, one dollar to um, ten thousand. Then from there. Uh, my organization is, is willing to back me as someone who's experienced in 
in uh, not, not only just evaluating livestock, but having the uh, connections and bridges to those in the stock show industry and being able to help locate and find livestock for these kids. And not only just that, but being able to serve as a mentor for them throughout their um, their growing season. So by the time they're able to get to their shows and things, I mean, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll be, you know, more than happy to go out and follow them to these shows, get their livestock, um, you know, pimped out and whatever we got to do to make them look right and, and give them the best experience possible. And not only just that, but again, when they um, achieve something and, and make their way into that junior livestock sale, then we'll be right there with the bidder's card able to, get them what they, what they, uh, properly deserve. Man, I think that's a, that's a real cool program that you get to be a part of. Um, when you got and talk to breeders, um, how do they respond to that? Or how do they respond knowing that, that this calf or this lamb or goat's going to go here, um, and be part of this, this very unique learning experience? Well, that's the thing that, um, you know, we've been promoting and pushing hard and we've been able to, you know, bring in a few select breeders who not only were willing to offer quality livestock at a lower price, but even um, some producers who are even willing to straight up donate livestock, just knowing the fact that it's going to go to a child or a family who, um, you know, would, would could really use the opportunity. And that's something that we're especially proud of. So when these kids take out the loan, they're not only able to, um, you know, simply um, receive livestock to, to get themselves started, but they're able to um, better utilize their, their loan dollars for, you know, other things, whether it's, you know, feed costs or investing in um, durable goods and, and, and what have you. So, and, and again, from there, as, as the year goes on and we're working with these kids and these families, again, that's where I begin to sprinkle in more of what our organization is based on and, and they latch onto it because again, we have their, we have their trust and we have, we have their ear. So, you know, it, it's, it's a win-win for everybody. And that's something that I really um, am looking forward to seeing build and, and progress as the years go by. You, do you see that kids, I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to work with the youth livestock program before as well. Um, are there some kids that just want to show at the local level and some that want to go, uh, all the way to the Arizona National, uh, which would be your big show out there. Yeah, absolutely. We we have um, kids and with with all different levels of goals, and of course, that's my number one thing when I sit down with these families: is what is your goal? Do you want to be able to show and sell locally, or do you want to show and, and you know you know try to go for something even larger at at the national level? And and we leave that up to them and. And from there, again, that's where I, again, give that power and of the of the decision making to my clients. And and of course, you know, I can offer my suggestions and, and offer, you know, my advice. But I, I certainly don't want to put myself in a position to be making decisions for everyone because that's not exactly my job. My job is to simply uh, connect, you know, producers or, or our young people with with these resources and. Um, again, that's again, we, we do receive a wide range of our clients. And, uh, you know, again, from there, I can only see this thing growing and expanding. And, and I, I certainly do hope it gets to a point to where it's more than I can handle because that's going to e- equate that we're, we're doing our job. So Matt Wade knows this, but I'm not much for livestock, but it's a very interesting. I, I love the dynamics of it. I just I've been chased by too many mama cows get us all out but 
y'all are just growing for for the smaller acres, uh, just food that vegetables, corn, and and other things that that are sustainable for a family. And there's not a whole lot uh, else to be able to produce uh, revenue off of that. Is that right? Well, as far as uh, my experience goes, that has been the case, but we're certainly, um, you know, again, trying to provide those doors and those avenues for those producers. And again, this is something I started here just last April. So um, I, I get what I, what, what I receive. And, you know, there, I, you know, when it comes to the rest of Indian country, there's certainly uh, large um, producers and, and enterprises that have formed with uh, private private Indian um, owners as, you know, when, when it comes to that, you know, again, we have Indian producers who um, are selling beef on, you know, online and we have those who are, you know, shipping salmon and things overseas, maple syrup and what have you. They have, you know, fairly large enterprises and uh, not just individual producers, but even the tribes themselves. So as we, you know, as, as my years go by, I certainly do hope to build that clientele and, and keep these clients to, um, you know, again, increase um, increase their level in, in terms of goals and, and be able to, you know, build um, real enterprises for them to where this is something that they could, you know, truly make a living at. And in, in doing that on, on the limited acres that they're permitted to do so on. And I fully believe that that's, you know, the one thing that's going to really, um, you know, make it all worth it in the end. Um, and it, that's exactly, uh, you know, what we're looking for. And, it's, it's not to say that it's non-existent again, you know, that's, it, there's plenty of them out there, you know, but just not within my little uh, region here on the Navajo side. So, um, again, I, I do look forward to, um, again, building that clientele and, and working with, with individual producers. And, and that's going to be quite the task to, to undertake, but, you know, again, the, the older generations, you know, setting things down, they're retiring, the newer ones are coming up and, as I, uh, you know, begin my work there through the, the livestock programs and working with these young ones who will be eventually taking over those farms and, and those ranching lands and things, uh, you know, that's where I can only see this, um, you know, going in, in, in a positive direction. So, so Matt, we're going to change gears a little bit here. Uh, if you could go back to, to maybe your 15-year-old self uh, from where you are now, and it seems like, man, you are a jack of all trades uh, what, what would you say to yourself, uh, in order to help yourself into the future? Or even if you're just talking to someone, uh, that's, that's not in agriculture per se, but wants to pursue that, uh, how, how, how would you help them with that? So again, uh, looking back to, um, you know, myself and my junior years, I mean, <laughs> back, back then, um, I thought, you know, the show cattle was it, you know, back then I was fully indulged in all that. I was wanting to go and, uh, you know, just run a full string of clubby cows and just, you know, make a full entire living off that clubby cow deal. But, you know, as the years went by, I was able to, you know, slowly decipher the markets and things and see that, you know, again, if you want to, if you want to do that, you need to move to where that, that customer base is, which is, you know, out, out in y'all's area, you know, most of that, the heartland out there. And for myself, knowing that I wanted to be able to move home and, and be, be around um, the land that I grew up on, um, that's not exactly the, the case, you know, time and point. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's one of those deals where I have to, you know, tell these, tell the youth and things, it's really going to, 
fall into your own hands to be um, a real innovator and, and be a master of, of your trade and a master of your craft and and be able to introduce that that um, whatever it may be to you know everyone around here and and show them that that's something that's valuable and something that that can be a solution to um, you know um, uh, move move the progression of of your of your area wherever it is that you're from and that's one thing that um, I can certainly say is is applicable to the work that I do here it's it's something that's not entirely new but it's something that has just been refined and, and revisioned and people are, are starting to see it now and again that's why we're, we're starting to see um, the increase in terms of our clientele and starting to shift gears in terms of the way people want to um, you know, or, or how people see themselves as ag producers. And, and that's something that I can't, you know, um, say enough about. And, uh, you know, again, for these kiddos that are out here in this area that are, you know, tuning into this uh, deal here, I, I just have to say that, you know, whatever it is that you really, really want to do, just again, find a way that's going to allow everyone else to see that again it's it's valuable and and it's a solution and it's something that is going to allow you to to build you know your your career and and your life off of that's some that's some pretty good advice dan has no idea what you mean by clubby cows uh but we'll talk (laughs) well just put it out there wade for all the world to hear (laughs) we'll talk about that later Matt, uh, as we wrap up here, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media um, and, and any, any contact info they need like that? Yeah, so um, social media, I try to, you know, keep everyone updated with where I am, what I'm doing. And that's mostly through Facebook. So facebook.com uh, forward slash M-A-T-T dot D-E-N-E-T-C-L-A-W. That's my name, Matt Denetclaw. I do have an Instagram. It's not very active. I'm not very, um, you know, prone to using Instagram, but it's um, at M Claw official, you know, just in case that needs to go, you know, with a blue check mark in the future. <laughs> but uh, yeah, th- those are the two main places. Um, I know my Facebook's nearing, uh, nearing its limit, but I'm sure we'll be able to, you know, open that deal up and everyone can just follow along with, with what I'm doing and keeping up with my work. Well, well, Matt, we thank you for being on our show. You you bring to light some very interesting things. I don't know a whole lot about the Indian reservation side of agriculture, and it's very interesting to learn about that. And I appreciate that uh, about your willingness to share it, and also your willingness to literally, like I've said, I think three times now about how many hats you have on for for what you do, and we really appreciate that. Uh, Matt, thank you for our, for being on our show. Uh, Wade, you got anything else? Uh, I'm good guys thanks again Dan we'll talk to you next time thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Advocates be sure and check out our Facebook Instagram and Twitter pages to see who we'll feature next on behalf of Dan I'm Wade we'll see you next time